Many of us are familiar with the story of Matilda. A girl grows up in a family who don't value her, who don't appreciate her, who don't see her for who she truly is. Then she's sent to an awful school where the children are treated more like inmates than pupils. Its only redeeming feature is Miss Honey, a teacher who sees the beauty and potential in each of her students and encourages them to thrive in all of the best and most wonderful ways. As well as being a book and a movie, Matilda is also a huge Broadway musical and one of the songs is called When I Grow Up. I'm not going to sing it for you, you're welcome. But it's sung by some of the children and they list all of these amazing and incredible things that are waiting for them when they finally reach the prize of being a grown-up, being an adult. They'll be tall enough to reach the branches of the trees that only grown-ups are allowed to climb. They'll be smart enough to know all the answers to all the questions in life. They'll be able to eat sweets all day and go to bed late every night. In fairness, that's exactly what it looks like for me to be a grown-up. I absolutely recommend it. They sing that they'll watch cartoons until their eyes go square and they won't care because they'll be all grown up. It goes on and on, all these things that are waiting for them just over the horizon. All these things they can't quite do and can't quite reach but can only anticipate as they wait for the day when they finally inherit them, they can finally enjoy them because it's limited to someday, somewhere. All too often... That's how God's people look at the new creation life. It's a someday thing, but not today. It's a someplace thing, but not here. It's a somehow thing, but not a living, breathing reality for us in all of the places and situations where we find ourselves doing life. We've entered the season of Easter tide because we need to remember just like Christmas, Easter is not just a day. Easter is a season, one that will carry us all the way through to Pentecost at the end of May. And in Easter tide, we remember that resurrection has broken out here and now. It's not waiting for us locked away in the future. We remember that eternal life isn't something that happens when we die. God's kingdom is not so where we enter when we fall asleep and cross the finish line. In Eastertide, we remember we are a resurrection people today. We are eternal life people now. The kingdom of God, his new creation reality, it is amongst us and we are a part of it. And that brings with it transformation. That must bring with it revolution. Otherwise, we're still living on the wrong side of the resurrection. We're still living in darkness, refusing to see that light has broken in and illuminated everything. We're still held captives by systems of death. And we're refusing to see that life has already won. We're still submitting to rhythms of slavery and refusing to see that Christ is our risen, conquering King who has torn down the walls that held us captive. He has blown apart the bars that have held us prisoner. He has led us into the green pastures of abundant life. And through this Easter tide, we're going to be journeying in 1 Peter, beginning this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
This letter was written mostly to Gentile believers, non-Jewish folk who had heard the message of the gospel and received it and responded to it, allowing God to transform their lives. And as a result of this transformation, they have suffered. Not through systematic persecution from the empire, that wouldn't happen for years. No, they are suffering from the friction that exists between the old creation and the new. From confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord in a world dominated by Caesar. They're suffering because they are Easter people in a Good Friday world. And so this letter comes either from the apostle himself or from those who've grown up under his teaching and authority and it reminds them this suffering, this friction, it is inevitable for God's people. It's not a sign that he has abandoned us. It is not a sign that he has forgotten us. He will redeem even this and make it beautiful. Because the inexpressible joy that awaits us on that day is so great and so wonderful that it reaches back to this day and transforms who we are and how we live right here, right now. In a moment we're going to read together. I know there are folks joining us today from other churches. We are so glad you're able to worship with us today. After the benediction later on, we'll be joining in a Zoom chat room. Anyone and everyone is welcome to join us there. We'll be posting the link to that in the comments shortly after this live stream ends. Please be patient with us. It does take a moment, especially when I'm the one in charge of the technology. But as we worship together every week after the scripture is read, I invite and encourage everyone to join together in praising and thanking God that we have had the privilege of hearing his word read and proclaimed. That no matter what else is said or done today, God has spoken through his written revelation. And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, his spirit will apply to us the words of life. And so after the reading, I'll remind us this is the word of the Lord. And as a part of our worship, I'd encourage you to respond wherever you are. Thanks be to God. As the Church Universal has done for countless generations all over the world. For some of us, I know this is out of our comfort zone. But as Peter will remind us, God's people are not called to be comfortable. We're called to be faithful. And so doing something or refusing to do something because we feel like it or don't feel like it is not how it works for Easter people. We're a part of a new reality, a resurrection reality, and that transforms everything. So let's read together the word of God for the people of God. First Peter 1 verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace in revealing yourself to us by your spirit through your word. This word that always points us to Jesus Christ, who is the living revelation of God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you want to speak to us today. You want to speak to us now, conforming us more perfectly, more completely to the image of Christ, your Son, our Saviour. So would you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. You have the words of life. Help us to see and hear and receive what the Spirit would say to the church. And may our lives bear fruit from what you say and do here and now. Help us, Lord, and help us to bless your heart as we worship now around your word. We pray it all in the name of Christ who loves us. Amen. Amen. There is a science to the way I eat. I know my diet is a subject of great amusement to some of you, great concern to many of you. Sarah is convinced that someday soon... My lifetime of eating like a student is going to catch up with me. I'm just going to roll out of bed. But nevertheless, there is a science to it. There is an art to it because the great truth of eating is that it is absolutely essential to have something of everything on your fork. And so if you eat all of your meal first and then all of your vegetables or the other way around, you are just wrong. I love you and the Lord loves you, but you are dangerously dangerously wrong. I know this will be one of the main sources for conversation in our Zoom time after the service, but it's true and I can prove it theologically. Because too often we can treat life in this world as if we're trying to get through all the unpleasant stuff on our plate first, so we can get to all the good stuff at the end. If we can just endure life, If we can just get through life, if we can just settle for the way things work in the old creation, making our compromises, conforming where necessary, then eventually we'll make it to the real thing and can be all God wants us to be and enjoy all God wants us to enjoy. If you're a regular part of our worshipping community, you've heard me lament before about the old hymn, Hold the fort for I am coming, Jesus signals still. As if God's people are trapped in an old western where they have to circle the wagons and stay trapped behind our thick walls. Or I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. As if our entire life is just a lockdown. To be suffered and endured, but not enjoyed until the sweet release of death that lets us fly away to heaven. The early church had a wonderful word for that. It's called heresy. Some of us might remember the left behind craze from a few years ago. Something which thankfully the universal church generally seems content to pretend never really happened. And if you're twitching awkwardly because you're looking over to your bookshelf and you see those books sitting there proudly, that's fine. It really is. I've read them too. 
as long as we look at them for what they are, fiction and not theology. It's a story, but not an accurate presentation of God's great story, which is not about scrapping this old world, but redeeming it. It's not about tearing this old world down or tearing it apart, but recreating it, making it new, resurrecting it. Because God's people are caught up in a salvation that is so complete and so perfect and so wonderful that it's not locked away for us someday in the future. It is happening right here and right now. Peter says that in God's great mercy, he has brought us into a glorious inheritance, one that cannot spoil or fade, one that can't be robbed or plundered. He says in verse four, this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. And so we can be tempted to think that's where the action is. That's where matters. That's what counts. But the apostle makes it clear God's people are not trapped in the in-between waiting for that day when Christ returns or calls us home. And until then, we're just treading water. Because the apostle tells us that even though we don't see Jesus right now, Nevertheless, right now we are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. He says in verse 9 that right now, even today, God's people are receiving the end result of our faith. We are receiving it. The salvation of our souls. Not we will receive it. Not it's waiting for us like a Christmas present bought in November but can't be opened until Christmas. No, says Peter, that day when all things are made new, when the kingdom comes in all its fullness, when everything ruined is made right, everything spoiled is redeemed, everything dark is flooded with light, that day is so radical, so conclusive, so explosive and expansive that it can't be contained to a single time or space. Just like the tiniest pebble dropped into a pond will create ripples, So that day is a boulder so huge, its ripples reach all the way back through history. It's a revolution so world-changing that we are caught up in it today. It's a transformation so boundless, it reaches who we are and how we live and what we say and where we go even today. It reaches who we are as a parent and a spouse as a neighbour and a friend. It reaches how we spend our time and our money and our energy. It reaches who we are in the office and who we are in the home and who we are on social media. Folks, we are not Christians in waiting. We're not biding our time until the fullness of the kingdom comes. We're not lying in wait until Christ returns in final victory. We are Easter people. Today and tomorrow and every tomorrow until that day when the glorious love of God renovates every corner of the universe. This epistle of 1 Peter has often been used in baptismal services in the church of God because it emphasises again and again and again the new life God's people have inherited. A new life not locked away for us for some day but is our birthright here and now. And so as we've seen with Paul, so we see with Peter, 
Be who you are. Not a people waiting for the resurrection, but a people who are already caught up in it, carried along by it. Not a people holding on and holding out for God's victory to reach us someday, but a community who are already transformed by that victory and have become ambassadors of that victory as it carries us along wherever we go, as we bear witness to it in all that we do. Because how does Peter describe what God has done for us, what God has given to us? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Not a comatose one. Not a stagnant one, not one in stasis waiting to be awoken, not even one in the womb waiting to be born in the world. No, our hope is a living hope because the resurrection of Christ is so world reshaping, reality recreating that it reaches us right here and right now. The glory that awaits us is a boulder so vast That the ripples it creates in the ponds of our lives are tidal waves. They are tsunamis of grace flooding us, saturating us today. And then flowing through us and spilling out from us into the lives of all whom we encounter. Judith Jones says God's actions in the past and God's promises for the future have transformed our lives in the present. God's people are Easter people today. And in six or seven weeks when Eastertide finishes and Pentecost arrives, we'll still be an Easter people. When we face the brokenness of the world in all of its shapes and forms and disguises, we are Easter people. When that brokenness is intimately, painfully present in our lives and in our homes, we are still an Easter people. When we're filled with anxiety for ourselves and for those we love, we don't need to hold the fort or circle the wagons waiting for that day when Jesus rides in to rescue us because we are an Easter people. When the wounds left upon creation by the fall are so real and so present that we literally can't leave our homes. Nevertheless, we are an Easter people. When relationships are so damaged, when health is so damaged, when finances are so damaged, when we are so damaged in so many ways that no one else can see and no one else can imagine, Especially in these days when we are isolated in so many of the most important ways. Yes, even then and even there and even in the midst of it all, we are always and forever, anywhere and everywhere, Easter people. Because the resurrection reaches even there and it reaches even that. And Peter knows the scope and scale of the fall. He knows God's people will suffer. He was there in the upper room when Christ promised his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will know suffering. But he was also there a few days later when that same Jesus gloriously resurrected, assured them as Faye beautifully read for us earlier, what he said three times in the passage to make sure we didn't miss it, to make sure we get it. Peace be with you. 
Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peter tells these young Christians scattered and dispersed throughout a world that seems new, that seems strange, that seems hard. You may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And again, we need to remember this is not the persecution later generations of the faithful would suffer as hundreds and thousands of our sisters and brothers won the martyr's crown even as countless members of the universal church win that crown, even today. That systematic governmental persecution hadn't yet begun. That's not what the apostle was talking about. He was talking about the fact that the church is an Easter community living in a Good Friday world. The church is a new creation people living in an old creation world. The church is a tribe of people whose allegiance is no longer to a nation or a flag. It's no longer determined by colour or rank. It's no longer about what our passport looks like or what our bank account looks like. Peter addresses his epistle to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of the empire. The word we translate as exiles has the same impact and effect in the Greek as refugees. People who have left an old way of doing life, an old way of being alive and have entered a new reality, an often uncomfortable reality. Next Sunday morning, in addition to this service on YouTube, we'll also be celebrating with a 9.30 service on Zoom called Word and Table. That is open and available to anyone and everyone as we worship in patterns and rhythms handed down to us from literally the earliest generations of Christians. And as part of it, we'll recite together one of the great creeds of the church, these statements of faith that are, in a very real sense, the national anthem of the Church of God. Remember, we are not British Christians. We are Christians who happen to be British. We are not doctors and teachers and office workers who happen to be Christians. We're not parents and spouses and children and friends who happen to be Christians. We are not anyone doing anything with Christianity tagged on as a bonus, an extra, an incidental part of a bigger, more important whole. God's people are Easter people. And that means we are primarily and foundationally before and after anything else, Christians who happen to be British, who happen to be Welsh, who happen to be employees, who happen to be wherever we are, doing whatever we're doing. A Christian's anthem is the creeds. A Christian's passport is their baptism. A Christian's flag is the cross of Christ because a Christian citizen is in the kingdom of God the new creation that burst into reality that first Easter Sunday, a new creation that isn't just waiting for us somewhere, someday, when we fly away, but in which we are living and breathing right here and right now. St John Chrysostom, one of the fathers of the early church, said, I am a Christian. He who has declared thusly has declared everything. Does that mean that this world doesn't matter? 
doesn't mean it doesn't count. Absolutely not, just the opposite. I can honestly say I have never known a people so thrilled about their home as the Welsh. We have seen Welsh flags, Welsh number plates, Welsh socks. The first time Wales played Ireland in the Six Nations since we moved here, our son proudly announced he was cheering for Wales. A few nights sleeping with the dog sorted that out. God's people are not called to isolate ourselves from the world in which we live. We're not called to turn our backs on it. We're not called to reject it or despise it. Relax, you can still wear your Welsh socks. We are called to remember that everything we are in the world, everything we do in the world, who we are and what we say and how we work, all of it is shaped and driven and compelled by the fact that we are Easter people, resurrection people, new creation people. And that means there will be friction. It means there will be times when the old creation collides with the new. When the darkness of Good Friday tries to drag us back from the light of Easter, there will be times when we are tempted to wonder if this grief Peter writes about, this discomfort of living as God's people, is it really worth it? Or if it wouldn't be better and easier to retreat from the world than just hold the fort until Jesus comes back? Or even worse, to let those friction points wear away our Easter edge so that it's not quite so difficult, it's not quite so hard. We just settle in to the rhythms of life that work in the old creation. We operate under Good Friday systems, systems that haven't yet been swallowed up by the resurrection. We let our kingdom citizenship take a back seat to making a profit or making a point. We don't allow Easter to reach our eyes or our tongue or our time or our Facebook account. We leave Easter in the sanctuary or on the YouTube stream where it can't do any harm to our reputation or our leisure or all the ways we are told to measure winning and losing. An anonymous letter from the early church says this about the Easter life to which God's people are called. Christians are not distinguished from the rest of mankind by either country, speech or customs. We're still employees. We're still family. Some of us still wear our Welsh socks. Yet while they conform to the customs of the country in dress, food and mode of life in general, the whole tenor of their way of life stamps it as worthy of admiration and admittedly extraordinary. They reside in their respective countries, but only as aliens. They take part in everything as citizens and put up with everything as foreigners. They find themselves in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They spend their days on earth, but hold citizenship in heaven. God's people are called and commanded, equipped and resourced to live Easter lives in a Good Friday world. To live resurrection lives in a world where death still lurks. To live lives confessing Jesus Christ is Lord in a world where Caesar still demands every ounce of our loyalty. 
And if we find there are no points of friction, if we find that walking with the risen Christ never costs, if we find that denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following him, if it doesn't bring us to uncomfortable places and hard places where we have to count the cost, friends, we have a problem. Because it could well be that we have settled in an old creation where we are called to be exiles and refugees. It could well be that we have allowed our faith, our heavenly citizenship, our true and core identity as God's resurrection people to become just an add-on. Something stapled on to who we've always been as we do what we've always done rather than allowing God to radically revolutionise all that we are and all that we do and all of us through and through as the tidal wave of his victory floods and saturates every part of us. God's people are resurrection people. We are Easter people because the Easter victory reaches us even in those places of grief. Peter tells us we will journey through as God redeems even them and makes them beautiful. And we are invited and commanded to allow that resurrection victory to sweep up every moment, every breath, every heartbeat. So that instead of allowing the friction between the old creation and the new to wear away what God is doing in us. Instead, we become a part of his work of redeeming, renewing, remaking every corner of this old world so that everything, everywhere is touched by his perfect victory. And as the creeds are our anthem, as the cross is our flag, as our baptism is our passport, so this sacrament of bread and cup is our family meal. And so, as always, if our youngest family members have been worshipping elsewhere, this is when we invite them to come back together and receive these gifts of grace. Because they are gifts. In all of the most important ways, we do not take these elements. We receive them. Because they are not ours, just like this table is not ours. It is the Lord's table, a table of grace. And he invites to it all who love him and all who need to love him more. All those who know him and all those who need to know him better. And as we come to this table, we will find there the resourcing, sustaining grace we need to live as Easter people in a Good Friday world. To live as children of light in a world that at times still feels dark. To live abundant lives in a world where death still seems to run rampant. Because just like in Easter, we don't just look back. So in this sacrament, we don't just look back. We do remember what God in Christ has done. We do remember that the bread points us and draws us to the body broken for us. We do remember that the cup points us and draws us to his blood shed for us. But just like the power and force of Easter reaches us today and carries us along now, so in this meal, the grace of God reaches us today and carries us along now as we are nourished and resourced by God to live for God. And as we launch back out into the world, 
even as the world looks today, whatever that launching looks for us, we will carry these elements with us in our bodies as they feed us and nourish us so that all who encounter us may encounter the resurrection victory of Christ in us. Almighty God, Father of our perfectly victorious Lord Jesus, giver of the Spirit who draws alongside your people, we give you thanks. In the death and resurrection of Christ, you have trampled underfoot everything that ruins, everything that spoils, everything that twists and distorts. You've set us free from all that would hold us down and hold us back and you've given us liberty to live for you. You've raised us from the death of captivity to sin and brought us into abundant life. We thank you that your salvation is so great and your victory so perfect and your grace so amazing that it even reaches us today in all of the brokenness through which we journey. We thank you that we are caught up in that victory today and tomorrow and all of our tomorrows, wherever they may find us. We pray that you would have mercy, Lord, when we face that grief and those trials our brother Peter warns us of. For those of us, Lord, for whom the brokenness of the world is especially real these days, may we know your help. And may even this be made beautiful, resulting in praise, glory and honour. And would you have mercy, Lord, when we allow ourselves to be conformed to the patterns of this world, rather than being transformed by the resurrection victory of Christ. Would you forgive us when we allow Easter to be just a single event, rather than the daily reality of our life. When we allow ourselves to put down roots in this old creation rather than being ambassadors and citizens of the new. And as we eat these gifts of bread and cup, may they feed us and nourish us to live for God in the world as the people of God in the world. Through them and by your spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. And so, holy God of grace and power, we worship you with that great choir around heaven's throne. We worship you with the great family of faith across time and around the world. We worship you not only with our lips, but also with our lives. Hosanna in the highest. Glory to God forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Even though we eat of many loaves in many places, we remain one body because one body was broken for all. So Lord, even though we are the church dispersed and scattered, exiles and refugees, outposts and ambassadors and beachheads of the new creation in the midst of the old. Unite us in this sign. In the same way, after supper, Christ took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, Lamb of God, 
bearer of our sins, redeemer of the world, have mercy and grant us peace. The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken and poured out for you that you may be preserved blameless unto everlasting life, no longer falling back into old creation living, but being living, breathing proof of the cosmic triumph of Easter. So Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on your people wherever they may be and on these gifts of bread and cup. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood and empowered by the gift of his spirit. Amen. And so the table is prepared. All who are hungry and thirsty are invited to feast and receive these gifts of grace that Christ may be fully formed in us. So eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death because Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. This is the faith of the church. This is our faith. Now, Lord, as you have made yourself known to us in this feast, so may you make yourself known through us in the world that all may come to be a part of the family of God. And all the Lord's Easter people said, Amen.